0: Well, Good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. Um, again, for those of you who came in late and uh, maybe for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd and I'm the pastor and glad that you're here um, worshiping with us on this Super Bowl Sunday. I noticed there's a lot of you here early. And uh, I'm sure there's good reason for that. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to two different uh, verses. We're going to be taking a look and kind of using as a springboard two different verses today. The first one is in Proverbs 16, verse 24. And then I think on your notes it says 34, but it's 24. And then James 1, verse 26. James 1, verse 26. 26. We're going to be uh, at least beginning there this morning. And um, before we get started, I'm just going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this day. It's a day that you have made and help us to rejoice and be glad in it. And Father, I pray today as we uh, look into your words to begin uh, this series on words. And on the tongue, I pray that you would pierce our hearts, Holy Spirit. Search us, convict us, challenge us, and encourage us, Father. I pray that we would, um, over the course of these next four weeks together, that we would um, realize what a serious thing um, words are, what a powerful tool our tongue is. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified by the words that we, who are in here today, who call ourselves Christ followers. I pray that you would be honored and glorified by the words that we speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, I love oatmeal. Um, I've always liked oatmeal, even as a kid. Um, I, I like oatmeal, and so just about every morning, that's my breakfast. Um, I, I, you know, 100% whole grain oats, right? Because that's you know the right thing to do, right? You don't want the instant kind, you know, of oatmeal. Um, so I use 100% whole grain oats, and um, I usually put a little bit of cinnamon um, in my oatmeal. Um, and so you got to be careful not to get cinnamon mixed up with chili powder. Did that once. Um, <laughs> They look the same at 6 a.m. I'm just saying. So, anyway, so you got to be careful of that. And uh, so, anyway, so uh, I I have my oatmeal and I have some cinnamon and I put fruits, you know, I'll put bananas or um, uh, maybe um, blueberries or strawberries, some nuts in there, and then honey. Lots and lots of honey in my oatmeal. Well, one day this past fall, I realized something for the first time in my life um, when unexpectedly in our house we ran out of honey. I don't really like oatmeal. I don't. I don't really like oatmeal. I like honey on oatmeal. I like a little bit of oatmeal with my honey in the morning. And uh, so I realized, man, oatmeal's just, eh, it's just kind of bland without honey, right? A lot of things are bland without honey. Honey is a great thing, isn't it? How how many of you like honey on your food and different things? Yeah, a lot of you. Honey makes the the foulest thing sweet, doesn't it? It makes the most bland thing sweet. Taste so much better. The writer of Proverbs compares our words to honey. Take a look at Proverbs 16, verse 24. The, the version that we're using actually uses the word honeycomb, but you could use it interchangeably, honey or honeycomb. Gracious, he says, gracious words are like a what? Honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul. See, Cody, back even in that day, they were using the word sweetness, okay? Cody uses that word all the time, sweetness, all right. So sweetness, a little bit different use there, but anyway, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. The writer of Proverbs uses this great thing called honey to describe what our words should be like, but our words aren't always as sweet as honey, are they? In fact, they're probably often not You know, it's interesting, Um, our words mean so much, don't they? Our words are incredibly powerful, aren't they? I mean, think about our words. They have the ability to heal, but they also have the ability to harm. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Our words are so influential on situations, they can cause someone who is enraged with anger to calm down. They can encourage and give hope to someone who is maybe going through cancer treatments. Our words can be both encouraging, they can be harmful, or they can be helpful. But think about the power of influence that our words have. Our words can help set the course of a young child, either for good or for bad. If you're a teenager in here and you're getting ready, maybe you're a junior or senior in high school, the words that your teachers or that your parents or that um, your student pastor or pastor speak, people that you hold in high regard, or by the way, your friends, um, they can set the course of your life or at least have influence on setting the course of your life. Some of you are in here and you uttered words one day to the person that you love the most and you said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Yet from the same mouth can come the statement, I don't ever want to see you again, to the same person. Our words have incredible, incredible power and incredible influence. And sometimes we can hurt or we can help those who are even close to us. But I would imagine that um, in, in a room this size and, and in kind of the church community, and you know, I'm, for those of you who are maybe seeking or kind of wondering what God's all about, um, this message is for you too, um, but, but I'm speaking right now just to those of you who are, are Christians this morning. Um, it's interesting because I don't think that we deal with this. We, we don't intentionally use our words. We don't like go through the process that often, hopefully not ever, of using our words to harm Maybe we intentionally use the words to heal, but I think that one of the things that we struggle with the most as Christ followers is, and I want you to catch this, we're just not careful enough with our words. And so when we use them, when we wield that powerful instrument called our mouth or our tongue, when we do it because we're not careful, oftentimes we end up hurting and harming those who are closest to us. We speak before we what? Think. We speak before we think, and in doing so, our words become, and here's the word that I want you to catch this morning, our words become meaningless. They become meaningless. I love Charlie Brown. I've always loved Charlie Brown, still love Charlie Brown. My kids, I pass this love of Charlie Brown on to them, Um, and I remember growing up um, in the 70s and 80s, um, when I grew up, you, you, had to, you had to plan to watch Charlie Brown because we didn't have DVRs um, and we didn't have DVD players and VHS just came out, so Charlie Brown wasn't on VHS. So you had to plan around watching Charlie Brown during the Christmas and holiday season, right? Do any of you know what I'm talking about? You actually, you know, you had to be there at 7 p.m., if you wanted to watch Charlie Brown. And we did, as a family, we always did. I love Charlie Brown, okay? So I I love different aspects of Charlie Brown. I love the music, you know, Vince Giraldi, it's great jazz music and all that kind of stuff. I love Snoopy. Um, My son does the best Snoopy I've ever seen. He, like, can imitate Snoopy perfectly. I love Snoopy. Um, I love the fact that we watched seven and eight-year-old kids tell the real story of Christmas in Charlie Brown. Don't you love that? But you know one of my favorite parts of Charlie Brown is? when he and the other Peanuts listen to the adults talk. Don't you love that? Wah, 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 wah. The muted horn. We have a word for that in the English dictionary. You know what it is? Blah. Blah, blah, blah. That's the name of our series. I bet you've never been in church and heard a series title called Blah, Blah, Blah. But you know what, when we wield our words, when we use our tongue and we don't think about it, we don't allow it to go through our, what we're gonna talk about today, our hearts and our minds and then come across our lips, we become meaningless in our words. And it just is blah, blah, blah. That is actually a word in the English dictionary and it literally means silly or pretentious chatter or nonsense. You see, God in his word has called us, those of you who are in here today and you're Christ followers, he's called us to a higher standard in terms of using our words. He calls us to a much higher standard than just blah, blah, blah. He wants us to have words that are like honey, not blah, blah, blah. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of these next few weeks. Now, even the best Christian can struggle with this, can't they? Even the Christian who um, really has got things down, you know. Last week we talked about money. Um, you, you can you can be managing and stewarding your money well, and following God's principles in terms of money and cash flow and possessions, and uh, you, you can do that. You can even follow God and have good relationships and a good marriage, and you know you can follow God with your careers, and you can be blessed in your job uh, because you're following His standards for living and what He says in His Word. You can follow his instructions to go out and to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. But really, all of that is for naught if the words you use are either blah, 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 or maybe even harmful. All of that's for naught. Because all of a sudden, and Cody will talk a little bit about this next week, all of a sudden our words harm what our mission is, and that is to be on mission for God. Now, one disclaimer as we walk through the series, and today is a bit foundational, and the next three weeks we're going to go into much more detail, but one disclaimer, and here's what I don't want you to do during this message series, because here's the temptation. You're going to hear the words that I say, and maybe that Cody says over these next few weeks, and you're going to hear God speaking, and you're going to go, man, so-and-so has got to hear this message, That's our temptation, isn't it? Especially when it comes to word. Like, I want you to be nice to what? Me. And so my challenge to you as we walk through this is to resist the temptation to go, yeah, so-and-so needs to hear this. You know who needs to hear it? Me. And you. And so my encouragement to you over the course of this next series is to self-evaluate, not to others' evaluate. Don't give your husband or wife the elbow in the middle of the series. See, I told you you got to be nicer to me. Allow God's Holy Spirit to work in your life and allow him to search your heart and pierce your heart and find out what he wants to do. With your life Now, I want you to read one verse with me this morning, and it's from the book of James. And we're going to be in this particular verse for the next two weeks. We're going to be focused on this one verse the next two weeks, and I pray and I hope that God will search your heart and that you can learn a little bit about what James is talking about. By the way, the book of James is an amazing book. And I want to encourage you, if you're in here today and you're a brand new Christ follower, maybe faith is new, or you haven't come to that place where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, James is a very practical, kind of in-your-face type book. Start there. It's a great place to start your spiritual journey. Uh, It'll be definitely challenging and, and in many cases convicting. James talks a lot about the tongue. And I want you to read this verse along with me here. It's James 1, verse 26. And James says this to his readers if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not, what? Bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's, what? Religion is worthless. Man, he didn't really wade into the water there, did he? I mean, he just came out swinging, didn't he? If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? deceives his heart you notice that the one that's being deceived is the one who can't bridle his tongue you know when you when you use words without any kind of uh, restraint or without any kind of caution you know what you know who you deceive you don't deceive that person that you may harm you deceive yourself that's what James is saying here and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion he says that word again is worthless now, next week, you're going to hear the part about why that person's religion is worthless. Today, I want to focus on this one word, bridal, Bridle. Now, to be just straight up and frank with you, James uses a verb version or a verb form of that word in the original language. But when the reader and when the hearer would hear that word, what would they think of? They would automatically think of a horse. We have um, Maddie Cunningham uh, in our church. She is 12 years old, and she's been a part of our church for the last few years. And uh, Matt is, her dad is an elder here, and um, they are good friends of ours. And um, she rides horses. Um, she's become uh, quite proficient at riding horses. And so I asked Matt and Maddie if they could find a bit in Bridal for us to take a look at, because this is what uh, James's readers would have thought of when he mentioned that word, even though he used the verb form of it. And so Maddie um, allowed me to use this. Now this is a horse that she rides, I think his name is Quincy, and um, Quincy uses this bit and bridle, um, and I really don't know how this works, because I'm not a horse rider, but um, I'll tell you about my riding experience some other time, um, and that's a whole other message. But um, I do know this, and Maddie explained this to me um, and to her dad, that a horse has to be led by the rider and a horse has to have a bit that goes in the horse's mouth and it has to have a bridle which goes over the horse's ear around the horse's ears and around its nose and then the reins are brought up so that the person riding the horse can what control the horse you see, what James was trying to communicate to his readers and, and to his hearers and what uh, I believe God is trying to communicate to us today is that we have to get a reign or control on the words that we speak. We can't allow our words to be meaningless. They can't just be blah, blah, blah. They've got to be meaningful. And Proverbs even says they need to be like honey and the honeycomb. And so the word that I want you to hear today in terms of what we are supposed to do is this word restraint. Because when someone is trying to control a horse, they're really trying to restrain the horse from just taking off. You know, when a horse is broken in, and again, I don't know much about this, um, but when a horse is broken in, that's not an easy process, is it? You probably have seen that before. It's not an easy process because a horse just wants to run. It just wants to buck. It doesn't want to be controlled. It's the same thing with our tongues, isn't it? How many of you have kids in here? Come on, all parents, raise your hand. Um, What was the first word that your child learned? No. (laughs) And they don't forget it, do they? I'm not a parent of a teenager yet, but I hear that they don't forget it. So it's the first word that we learn, and it's the most, one of the most powerful words that we learn, and it's a defiant term. We don't want to be restrained. We don't want to be controlled when it comes to the words we speak, yet God's word says that we need to understand what it means to have control over our tongues, And so over the course of these next few weeks, we'll talk about that. Specifically today, I want to give you some foundational biblical principles that will establish how we can begin to have control over our words. And I think you might be surprised where it begins and where it ends. Take a look at your notes this morning. The first process in controlling or restraining our words is this. Restraint of our words begins with our heart. We may not realize it, but the good and the bad words that we use, the words that are harmful and helpful, that begins with a heart issue. It begins down deep in the core of who we are. Look at what Proverbs says in another verse, in Proverbs 4.23, the writer says, keep your heart with all vigilance. I want you to say that word with me, vigilance, vigilance. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. You see, everything begins and ends with the heart. It doesn't begin and end with your tongue or with your mouth. It starts in the heart. I love that word vigilant. Some, uh, some versions say guard your heart. But the word there that we use in the ESV, which is the, the main uh, uh, version that we use, is vigilant. Do you remember the first time you heard that word vigilant? I remember hearing it um, just every so often until 9 11. And then we heard that word vigilant a lot, didn't we? We heard it on the news a lot. We heard it uh, uh, describing how we should be now that there's been a terrorist attack on our soil. And so in the years after 9-11, as time went on, that word kind of faded into the background again. And for us, for myself and Cynthia and uh, Sydney at the time, who was 18 months old, um, in 2005, we moved to New York City. And you know what? We learned the word vigilant all over again. Because when you live in a downtown urban area, you have to be vigilant. You have to watch out. You have to be aware. We saw it on posters. We heard it on New York One, the local TV station, we heard it on the radio. And if you have ever uh, uh, been there, you've probably heard that. I want to give you a definition of vigilant. Vigilant means alert and watchful, especially to avoid danger. Alert and watchful, especially to avoid danger. You see, what the writer of Proverbs is telling us is that we've got to keep our hearts with everything we've got with an awareness of what can come into our our hearts and harm our hearts. If you're in here today and you're a Christ follower, maybe you've allowed something to come into your heart to kind of enter your life that is separating you from God. Maybe it's a particular habit or sin that you've become involved with. Maybe it's become not just a one-time thing, but maybe an over and over and over again thing that you're doing or perhaps not doing that is a heart issue. You see that, whatever that is, is going to have an impact on the words you speak because the heart is connected to the mouth. Maybe you're in here today and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're watching things that you know that God would not be pleased with. Maybe you're listening, teenagers, to music that you know that God wouldn't be pleased with. Eventually, I want you to catch this, eventually those things will penetrate our heart. Eventually those things will have a detrimental impact in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in here today and you've never had a relationship with him. That's the starting point for you using words that are not blah, 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 but that are like honey. Is that you begin by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal savior. That is the most important heart issue. That's the biggest heart issue. And so it begins with our hearts. It means maybe you've been separated from God for a while. It means that you go home today and you begin spending 20 or 15 or 20 or 30 minutes with God every day so that your heart, so that your heart doesn't become the thing that calls you to have words that become blah, blah, blah. I love the picture of being a guardian of your heart, and so that's our action step this morning. It's that we need to be a vigilant guardian of our hearts. Be a vigilant guardian of your heart. Be firm, be secure, be strong, stand up and guard your heart. Begin to filter those things that you see and that you hear and that you encounter with the Word of God and find out if it's something that's pleasing to God or if it's something that's gonna separate you from God. The second point this morning is restraint of our words develops when we meditate on what is good. Restraint of our words develops when we meditate on what is good. Words start in our heart, but then they kind of develop and they, they kind of take root in our minds. I was um, on a camping trip when I was in high school. I, I'm not Obviously, I don't ride horses. Um, I also don't do much camping. Um, but I went on a um, camping trip with two of my high school buddies, and um, one ended up going to the Air Force Academy, and the other works for the U.S. Forestry Department. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I was out of my league on this camping trip, and it snowed that night, and we, we kind of camped down in a valley, and it snowed that night, and I think I've told the story before that we ended up, we didn't have the right... Equipment, so we ended up sleeping in the car and turning the heat on most of the night. Um, It was a very successful camping trip, and I'm surprised that that guy was allowed into the Air Force Academy because of that. But that's all right. And so that next day, though, um, we got ready and we went on a hike down in that valley, and we got lost. We kind of lost our bearings for a little while. And of course, the forestry guy and the Air Force Academy guy—they're like, "No problem. I'm back there, going. I'm going to die here. Nobody'll ever find me." Um, But um, we, we. We're getting uh, disoriented because of the snow on the ground. And one of the guys says, we need to get to higher ground. We need to uh, uh, kind of look around and see where we are, and we need to get our bearings. We've got to get to higher ground. And so we walked up the side of a mountain, and we got up on a ridge, and it was amazing what you could see. And we looked at a map, and we found out where we were, and we were fine. We found our way um, back to where we needed to be. The same thing is true in terms of our thinking. Um, We can't stay in the valley with our thinking. We've got to get to higher ground. We can't stay down here. We've got to get up and look up and think up. Take a look at what Paul says in Colossians. He says, set your minds, that means meditate, set your minds on things that are what? Above, not on things that are on this earth. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. But what in the world does that mean? I think we can have a clearer understanding of what that means when we read Paul's words in Philippians, in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. He says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, lovely, isn't that a great word? Whatever is commendable, if there is anything that is excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think on those things. He says, think about these things. And then verse 9, take a look at verse 9 in Philippians. Um, Verse 9 says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What does it say? Practice. Practice. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, just, and pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent and anything praiseworthy, think, dwell, meditate on those things. Those are all things of God. Those are all descriptions that we could attribute to God. He is just. He is right. He is excellent. He is praiseworthy. The problem is, is that we get captured. Please don't miss this. We get captured by the things of the world, don't we? We get captured by what Hollywood feeds us, don't we? And usually it's thoughts that are down in the valley. Let's just be honest, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. It's stuff that's down there. It's not things that are said on what is above. And no wonder the words that come across our lips are demeaning and degrading and blah, blah, blah. It's because our hearts and our minds aren't set on things that are above. Whatever you have learned, Paul says, practice, practice, practice those things. We can't just leave thinking to chance we have got to practice thinking thoughts that are above. Your action item for this one is shift your thinking or adjust your thinking from what is negative to what is godly. Adjust your thinking from what is negative to what is godly. And I want you to hear this this morning. Practice your thinking. How in the world do you practice your thinking? You know how you do it? Every day begin by spending some time with Jesus, spending some time in his word. I promise you, if you do that, I know when I do that, when I do that, my thinking is so much better than when I don't. Isn't that true? When we start out our day, when we begin, or maybe even end, if you're kind of a nighttime person, and the morning's not so good for you, you know, when we have a time during the day when we set our things on what's above, we have better perspective, don't we? And we can practice thinking about things are of God. And the third point this morning is restraint of our words is complete when our words are pleasing to God. So, the psalmist, oh, one of my favorite psalms, I'll often say it in a prayer about what happens here in this room because I want this to happen. and I think God is pleased when this happens. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word that the psalmist used there for acceptable, because I think that's the key word uh, think about things, uh, dwell on things, and then speak words that are acceptable. The word that he used there means approval or pleasure. Use words that God would find pleasure in. That's the litmus test for the words you use. You see, it begins in the heart. Then it develops in the mind, and finally it's complete when we speak it. You see, we have to consider carefully the words that we use. Once we've got our heart right, once we've got our minds right, then we have to choose carefully. Don't just be blah, blah, blah. Don't just leave your words to chance. And here's your action item. Speak words that are sweet like a honeycomb. Speak words that are sweet like a honeycomb. Now, does this mean that you let people roll over? No. No. Does this mean that you don't stand up for what you believe is right? Absolutely not. You know what it means? Is that we stop and we what? Think before we speak. We think before we speak. In fact, there, I think, is even something that we have to do before that. We have to be right with God before we think, and then we have to think before we speak. We have to be careful when we're choosing our words. Speak words that are sweet like a honeycomb. Here's your bottom line this morning. Our words taste like honey when we allow God to control our hearts, our minds, and our mouths. Our words can taste like honey when we allow God to control our hearts and our minds and our mouth. When we learn what it means to bridle our tongue. When we learn what it means to allow God to control us and not ourselves. Um, I learned something yesterday, and I think Matt Cunningham did too when Maddie was explaining um, to him about a bit and a bridle. She mentioned that at some point in time, when the rider is experienced and when the horse trusts the rider, they no longer need a bit in their mouth. They can use a bitless bridle. And you know, we can get to the point in our walk with God where we don't need all the constraints because we are so in tune with what he wants. Our heart's right, our minds are set on things above, and our words are like honey and like a honeycomb. We can get to that point, but it takes day in, day out, time with him. How are your words? Are they like honey or are they blah, blah, blah? Lie. Father God, I pray that you would help us this morning and with our lives and this week to be focused on what you want. Father, that we would focus our hearts on uh, protecting our hearts, That we would, um, that we would be vigilant in terms of the stuff that comes at us, what we hear and what we see and what we take in. God, I pray that we would be vigilant guardians of our heart. And Father, I pray for those who might be in here today who don't know you as their Savior. That's their first step in speaking words that are no longer blah, 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 but words that are sweet like honey. And I pray for those who are in here today and they have a heart issue. There's something in their life that is separating them from you. In fact, Father, I pray that you'll just take the next moments and reveal that to each one of us. That applies to all of us, Father God. And I pray that we would allow you to pierce our hearts and change our hearts. And then, Father, help us to think thoughts think things, to meditate on what is good, up on the mountain kind of stuff, not down in the valley kind of stuff. And Father, then finally, I pray that once we get our hearts and our minds right, I pray that our mouths would speak words that are sweet, like a honey and a honeycomb. Father, you've done so much for us that is good and that is lovely and that is pure and that is right. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus that we would be people who can uh, respond out of the overflow of you working in our lives. Help us as we live our lives to be careful and have restraint with the words that we use. Help us to be vigilant. And careful in choosing the words that we speak to other people. Be pleased. Have our words be acceptable in your sight, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.